I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sinanda Walker here and we are on our Be Awesome series with Dr. Christina Hallett. Hi Christina. Hey Kristen, good morning. It's so good to talk with you. Yes, and we have someone back that we had a great show on. It's funny because uh, public speaking is a major uh, fear still for many, many people. I don't think it ever won't be. And uh, I thought, you know, public speaking and you're dealing with mental health challenges, that's that takes some bravery. So I'm glad to have you back, Tricia, to get more in depth about those kinds of things. I'm super excited to be back with you, Kristen and Christina. Thank you for having me today. Of course. It is such a pleasure. And one of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about last time, Tricia, were the things that you've been doing in your work and in the world to make a difference in destigmatizing mental health and supporting a different awareness about mental health. And so I was really hoping that you could tell our listeners about some of the pretty awesome productions that you've done. Well, thank you. I actually fell into the world of mental health by writing a musical. I had written a musical parodying uh, a very famous book called Fifty Shades of Grey. And (laughs) my parody was making fun of the fact that I don't think a college student who doesn't own a computer and who has never had sex before should be something that is... um, Uh, not made fun of. I find that to be really crazy and offensive to women. So I made a a parody musical about it. (laughs) And (laughs) after I created Fifty Shades of Effed Up, I had such a desire to create a new show about something funny. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to write a musical about uh, an asylum in New York City in the 80s? Not knowing that when I started doing my research, I realized I had an opportunity to get it right and to take it seriously and to destigmatize mental illness through entertainment, humor, music, and dance. And so in my research of writing Committed, which is the musical that I wrote and music and lyrics are by Andrew David Sotomayor, I had an opportunity to really tell stories 
through the eyes of the patients so that we could all come together and realize that we're not alone in this and that having bipolar or general anxiety disorder or clinical depression or autism or auditory hallucination or dissociative identity disorder, schizophrenia, narcissism and depression, that these are things that people are afraid to talk about. So I gave each of my characters one of these health challenges so that we could mm. see it through their eyes. And so we could experience what depression feels like through a song and dance called The Black. Oh. And it was really important to me to get it right because I had an opportunity to, to start a conversation. And that's really what I do in my work. I, I create opportunity for conversation, just like with speakers on a stage, just like with my documentaries, and just like with Committed the Musical. That's fantastic. How, how well was it received? It was incredibly received. The piece has been performed and produced twice in New York City, and it actually also went on the road and was produced in Florida. And nice. the success of the show for me was in the audience saying, now I understand why my daughter is a cutter. Now I understand mm -hmm. why my mother behaved the way she did. And now I'm going to have a conversation with my family about my mental, my mental health challenges so that we can open up the dialogue. So the success of the show for me was in the response of the audience. Absolutely. You know, you just reminded me of something. A, a young artist that I know was doing a project, and it was somewhat of a similar kind of thing in that uh, she was trying to demonstrate part of the experience of depression. And so she knitted a really long, overwhelmingly large sweater and mm. did a performance piece where she was fully encapsulated in this sweater. And the arms were crossed in front, similar to a straitjacket, if you think about it that way. And it was amazing the extent to which people responded and began talking about that and said, wow, now I get a sense of what depression can feel like from the inside out, rather than the kinds of things that people might think from the outside where they just don't understand. And that's why art, music, dance, and theater is a great vehicle to get these conversations going and to help destigmatize with something that we all have experienced, whether it's personally or of, of a loved one. That's that the idea that we're all human and we're all sharing a human experience. You know, that's my favorite thing to talk about. And it's true. There's nobody who doesn't know somebody with mental health concerns and challenges. In fact, we all have them, whether or not they reach yes, that exactly. clinical level. Yeah. And it's it continues to astound me that we as a society have this ongoing stigma as opposed to recognizing, hey, everybody gets bruised at some point. And whether you're bruised emotionally or bruised physically, that's part of the experience. And some people's bruises go deeper than others, so to speak. But we don't turn around and say, oh, I can't believe you have a bruise. Wow, that's we can't talk to you. That's not okay. Right. That's exactly right. And that's something that um, Tanya 
uh, Harris is actually beginning to talk about, she, I'm helping her produce her new podcast, The Happy Child Project. And she came to me as a speaker and wanted to talk about toxins and how they affect your body and really amazing stuff. But then she started sharing with me that as a child cancer survivor, she was given all of these opportunities to miss school and to have parties and to have gifts. And she was showered with affection and gifts. Yet her daughter, who has learning disabilities, is bullied at school. So we began to talk about why is it that cancer is okay to talk about and everyone wants to rush to your side, but learning disabilities or mental health issues are not something people are comfortable talking about. So I'm super excited to continue having this conversation, not only here, but with the, the theatrical works that I produce. I in my first TEDx Lincoln Square, Wendy Smith, I had her on my stage talking about mental health. And so I think that what you all are doing, which I appreciate so much, is just keeping this conversation going. Right. Yeah. And we're going to have Tanya. She's already scheduled. So she's going to be coming on the podcast. <laughs> Super excited about that so that we can just be spreading the word. And I really think that you're on to this idea, Trisha, of the more we talk about something, the less taboo it becomes. You know, and we've seen that sort of historically as we look about at things, different social issues in the world. And so I think everything that we can do to get a conversation and keep a conversation going and to begin asking those questions of people of what's your experience like, you know, how do we understand? I, I'll keep saying this, but how do we understand from the inside out what it's like for somebody else? Right. And you just you just made me think of something, Christina. What is your experience like? Or actually the words, hi, how are you? I'm on the board of the Hi, How Are You Foundation. And it is about creating awareness through media, music, and events. And it was it's a non-for-profit. It was started by the, the Daniel Johnston Foundation, his family. And Daniel Johnston, I'm sure everyone knows Daniel Johnston's music. It is incredible. He's from Austin, Texas, and he suffers from mental health challenges. And so these four words, hi, how are you? And really actually waiting to hear the answer is what what it's all about and where it all starts. Absolutely. And instead of just saying, fine, or great, how are you? Literally answering the question and listening to the answer. And that deepens relationships. And we already know there's so many volumes of research that say when we're in relationship with someone and when we connect with another human being, it enhances our life experience as well as the other person's. Such a simple interaction and yet so powerful. Sure. I mean, just the connection that I have with the two of you today is bringing my awareness to a heightened place of how to have compassion and how to pay attention to what's going on so that if somebody needs support or help from me, I'm going to be aware of it because I'm I'm talking about it more often. I'm actually making eye contact with people. Um, and I think that the constant conversation, the ability to depict depression through art, through media, through entertainment, poetry, it gives us an opportunity to connect on a deeper level. Absolutely. It does. But, you know, I, I think it's interesting, too, where I used to hear more about it in terms of those, yes, I know those people other there that have uh, a mental illness. And I, 
I used to hear that a lot more. I don't hear that as much, but I wonder if it's because I'm so in this bubble of mental health <laughs> that that's why, and all my friends are in that and all my colleagues are in that. Um, you know, if that's, if that's why I don't hear it as much. So I'm glad that you're, you know, that you're doing this in a big way, you know, with the work that you do, Tricia, because I'm a little bit, uh, like I said, in, in a bubble. And mm -hmm. I, I hope that what we're doing is, you know, breaking down the stigma and, and making sure that people understand that the word mental health is very, or the words mental health are very different than mental illness. Um, those aren't the same thing. But, uh, but again, you know, when you're in a bubble and you do this all the time, all the time, all the time, to me, it's like, well, nobody thinks that way. And the reality is, no, there are people in the world that still, um, you know, think that they're going to catch the they're going to catch cooties from someone that has a mental health challenge if they talk to them or <laughs> but what what do you what do you think about that Trisha because you're not in this field steeped in it like Christina and I are are you seeing a, a, a you know a change around people's attitudes about the words mental health and mental illness I am absolutely seeing that change. I currently am working with an incredible speaker, Maura Ahrens Mele, who is talking about mental health. And we are, we are currently working on a TEDx for her. And we had this conversation about, okay, when you're, when you're not feeling up for it, when you need to go home, when you just can't make that call because you just can't, why can't we put out of office depression in your in your reply email instead of just out of office traveling you know like let's make it even more aware and conscious mm. of people you know giving people permission to actually feel the way they feel and not have to hide and i think that's a really interesting uh way of looking at it yeah. you know i I continually see people, I encounter people, whether it's in my clinical work, through my teaching, or, and I see it most of all when I'm speaking, because I'm talking about all of the literally mental health and wellness topics when I'm out speaking. Mm -hmm. And I regularly encounter people who don't have uh, an awareness or an open mind, or they're just not acknowledging it. They're still very, very much afraid. And I'm thinking about a recent example where <clears throat> I was speaking with somebody who has a variety of mental health challenges, and it's truly impacting this individual's work life. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways it impacts is the ability to communicate effectively. But this individual has been extraordinarily concerned about sharing this with their employer. Now, we've got the ADA, right? We've got all sorts of things that say, hey, you can't discriminate against someone. And yet this person has what I believe are truly real and legitimate concerns about what's the fallout in disclosing X, Y, Z are issues for me. And this is how it intrudes or hampers some of my communication. And this is the way I'd like to work on it because the particular work environment is an environment where there's still a lot of um, not just fear, but a lot of making fun of. Right, so it's a, a very specifically 
not open and not aware environment. And I think that's an ongoing challenge. That's why I think this is so important. I could not agree more. I just supported a speaker, Swati uh, Jagadia, who spoke at Google. And the conference was Be Bold, Be Curious, Be You. And she was the keynote for the Be You part of it. And what was so incredible is that she connected with the uh, facilitator of the event. And he said that part of, she's actually the the on-site therapist at Google. So she was speaking and she um, is a, an expert in this field. And she said that the facilitator shared with her that by being himself, be you, he was able to, to share with his uh, team that he suffered from in, incredible anxiety. And instead of not showing up to work, he showed up to work and shared this with them. And they were able to give him the support that he needed and so he felt heard, he felt cared about, he felt supported, he felt valued, and he felt um, like he was no longer alone. And I think that the more we can share those kinds of examples and, and make it okay to share this with your team and with the people that you work with and for, mm -hmm. the more mental health will continue to be the um, the talking point instead of mental illness. Yeah. You, you know, that you just reminded me of this. And I think both of you know a little bit of the context for this. But for a few years, I worked in the Connecticut prison system. And during the time I worked there, there was a process of an inmate who ultimately went uh, through execution. The death penalty at the time was in effect. But one of the jobs that I had was working as the liaison between all of the different employees within the, this particular prison system. And there was a wide variety of feelings that people had about this. And so some people were like, yeah, you know, blah, of course, move forward. This should have happened a long time ago. A lot of people had very, very serious concerns about this. But the thing is, in corrections, what's the general... Uh, attitude. Generally speaking, people are really trying to be strong and what we think about is manly and that they don't admit to any kind of weakness. And absolutely talking about feelings fell under the category of weakness. And so one of the things that I did was talk to uh, officers at all, literally at all levels, from correctional officers all the way up through higher levels of leadership on an individual basis and also on a group basis about expressing their feelings and finding a way to manage their feelings wherever they were on the continuum of dealing with this situation. And it was very interesting because many of them were initially reluctant to open up a conversation, but as sort of word got out that I was someone who could, they could speak with in a non-judgmental, just listening and engaged fashion, it really made a difference. Mm -hmm. And so here were these longtime employees talking about anxiety and depression and fear and beginning to disclose information sort of collateral to the issue at hand about why this was such a struggle and, and the kinds of internal things that it brought up. And it was so powerful to begin to do that because as a whole, many of the people in that system were like, meh, mental health, what do you people know anyway? Kind of thing. 
Well, there's two stereotypes and stigmas happening there in terms of the prison system and mental health. So thank, thank goodness for you to be able to open up that dialogue. And it was really powerful, you know, and for to give people the opportunity to say, this is what things are like. This is literally that answer to hi, how are you is this is how I am. And I'm a perfectly competent, fabulous human being. And I have different thoughts and feelings about a situation that are not necessarily the same as everyone around me and that connects to other experiences I've had in life. And that literally, that's true for all of us. I, I think some, yeah, I, I absolutely. And I think something that's interesting too is when we allow people to um, be in a mental health struggle, which could be mental illness, or it could be that they're just having anxiety, but it's not at the level like you say, Christine, I love how you differentiate the two. It's not something that would be clinically um, at a level. It it wouldn't be at a level where it would be clinically diagnosed as anxiety where they need medication or whatever, but they're having anxiety. So we've got two different things going on, but to be able to be doing your job or being at a party or doing a public speaking event and being okay with saying, you know what, I'm having a mental health challenge literally right now, and have people watching you or hearing you as you're doing it. So not only are you talking about, yes, I've had these struggles, but they're watching someone get through it as they're doing something right now. Does that make sense? Yes, and I think I want to add to that because part of that is the visual. We have this innate uh, behavior as human beings to think something looks a certain way if it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And right. it, it, if we can show and see somebody who is not what a stereotype of a crazy person looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> then we can all understand it's, this is something that is affecting everyone affecting many human beings of different race, gender, age. Um, And I think that that is something that you're hitting on, Kristen, which is seeing what a mental health challenge looks like can also destigmatize in in addition to talking about it. And that's why I, I wrote Committed, so that I could create these characters, so I could show you what they go through, what they look like, and so that it's a diverse cast. It's per, it's purposely purposefully created that way, and frankly, I wrote some of the characters for my friends who are actors because I know who they are and I know what's possible. And um, I think that showing is equally as important as telling. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Completely. I've definitely done shows in the middle of having a really hard time and. Uh, you know, I say I'm having a really hard time right now and I'm talking about why with, you know, with the guest and the guest is someone usually that, you know, is someone that I've picked because they've gone through that same kind of hard time. Mm -hmm. And I've had listeners, you know, the ones that I've had over the five years or six years, whatever it is that I've been on the air, they've seen this ebb and flow of, well, you know, because I'm on the air so much of me having ups and downs and so on. I don't do this perfectly polished 
thing where I'm always on my A game. Mm. Well, you know what? Let me say that differently. I'm on my A game as best as I can be in that moment. Right. <laughs> right. And sometimes my A game includes that I'm going through depression or that I'm really struggling with anxiety or that I um, just had something horrible happen in my personal life and it's absolutely affecting my uh, my ability to be as uh, quote unquote good as I am on other shows. And I do that on purpose, even though it's hard, it's yeah. really hard to do that because we're told, you know, you need to be perfect. You need to be polished. You need to be da, 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 da. And, and for some things that is true, you know, you can't work at a nuclear power plant and have, <laughs> but for other things, like doing a show about mental health, it's okay to be like to for me to be sound kind of depressed during a show. I'm not going to cancel a show because I'm feeling kind of depressed and down. It's not going to happen. So I like that the listeners get to know me as the host, get to hear the guest, and they are also on this journey with me as in terms of what I'm going through and saying, oh, well, look, she's created a network. She does all these shows. She's done this. She's done that. You can do all these different things and really struggle at times and be real about it. Yeah, and you're giving everybody listening permission to do the same. Exactly, exactly. You both know that one of my messages is this message of self-compassion. Yep. The message that is so important to me is that people see for themselves and for everybody else that we are all doing the best we can with what we have in the moment. Okay. And that's all we can ever expect from ourselves or from anyone else. And when we begin to use that self-compassion that allows us to then have more compassion for others, we can let go of some of our anger or frustration or the negative thoughts that we have about other people. Instead of thinking, "Ugh, why can't they do better? We can understand that if, ever, if we truly take this perspective, that everyone's doing the best they can with what they have in that moment, then there's such an opening to let go of judgment and to bring in connection. Right. Absolutely. I think that's something that's got, it's been, I don't know, lost on is not the right word, but it's maybe it's just that it wasn't okay in the past. and Now we're evolving to a new place. Maybe that's a better way to say it because we have acting and you have to, um, an actor can portray a character who's depressed and that's part of the movie, you know, so how well they can portray that right? and be liked and understood by people that have not struggled with clinical depression, but also people that have struggled with it go, yep, that's what it looks like. So there's that, but there's still this other piece of our own, um, feeling like we need to be perfect and that's still a theme that kind of runs around especially in the United States of you know just not not sharing that you're struggling I know we've been talking about that but I wanted to really make a point about that 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 still lives in there it still lives in me it still lives in everyone I interview that need to put on this artifice or this persona um, that you can't 
that slipping up is slipping up instead of it's just part of being human. It's not a slip up. Complete. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of okay. sense. And I think there's also something that can be discussed as well in terms of when kids are suffering from mental health challenges or learning disabilities, not only are they um, unable to talk about it, but as a society, we blame their parents. And that is something that I <laughs> we, we have to bring attention to as well. It's like, well, what are the parents doing that the kids are behaving this way, right? So I think that, that is per, it's pervasive and we've got to just like be better at this whole game. <laughs> have you guys yeah. heard about the buddy bench? No. No. Oh, this is amazing. Uh, this was, and it was actually started, oh, so this is going to be really bad because I'm not going to actually remember the young woman who started this, or I think it was a woman. In any case, a young person started this, which was creating a buddy bench, and it's to eliminate loneliness and to foster friendship on the playground. It's all about mm. spreading the message of inclusion and kindness. And the, the theme is basically, if you see someone sitting on the buddy bench alone, go sit with them. That's awesome. Right? It just gives me chills. That. Literally, as I'm talking about it, every time I think about it, I get super excited and I sort of get chills all over my body because that's the message. I think when we're starting to do that, that's how we can begin to raise our children as a society differently. And, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Kristen, we definitely have to get the buddy bench people to talk with us because yes. this is so important. And it's so imagined just with what you were saying, Trisha, and with what Tanya is talking about. If we had buddy benches everywhere, if we were literally raising <laughs> our children to say, yeah, this person, they're on their own. Go say, hi, how are you? And yes. sit with them on the bench. Begin to form a friendship. You know, one of the things that we did, um, our society did that was not true. I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, uh, elementary school and middle school and high school, our classes were very secluded. We did not have inclusion. So anyone who had any kind of learning challenge or mental health challenge was absolutely, they were literally segregated. They had separate yeah. rooms and there was no inclusion. And I know that when my daughter went through school, that wasn't the case. And then they had, actually, I think it's called the Best Buddies Program because I know my daughter was part of that. And that was students who buddied up with other children who had challenges. And, you know, these are the ways I think we can begin to make a difference but and reduce stigma as well as teach people about kindness, compassion, common humanity, and the vast value of connection. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I love that, the buddy bench. All the years that I was with, you know, doing the, the volunteer work with my therapy dog, that's what we did. We went to the behavioral health classrooms in schools. Those kids were segregated in a separate classroom. And I, what I loved about that was here we go in, we go into the classroom with the quote-unquote bad kids mm. and they were teaching the, these kids about the, these are this is my space and that's your space I have boundaries and to be a buddy 
and to help, how do we help someone that's crying? I mean, they were teaching them all these things about empathy and emotion, and they were doing, they were acting out scenarios and having the kids act out scenarios and get up and talk about them. And, and uh, you know, I had my dog in there rolling around on the floor with them and doing all kinds of, you know, cool things. And I, and I remember always thinking, why aren't they teaching these things in the other classrooms? <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. As if somehow everybody else already knows that. And we know that's not true. Yes. We, we have that's mean so girls and bullying and peer pressure and all of those things that absolutely would not be as significant if we were from the very beginning talking about yeah. kindness and compassion and connection. Yeah, I just yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just created a documentary, produced and directed a new documentary called Right Livelihood, A Journey to Hear, which is about the Buddhist chaplain on Rikers Island who teaches meditation to the corrections officers. And part of what he does is hold space for those people, for those corrections officers because of the difficult job that they have and because of the energy that's going on every single day at the prison. And I think if we can hold space for people and not think we need to fix anybody, that is also part of this conversation. Oh, completely. Right. That That's the most powerful thing. You know, I'm going to use the example of grief because people will often say someone that they know has had a very difficult loss. And then they'll say, well, I wanted to reach out, but I didn't know what to say. And so then they don't. And they deprive their their connection as well as themselves of this opportunity to just share space and hold space for someone because there isn't necessarily something to say and it's never about fixing because we can't fix anyone else we, right we're only in charge of ourselves but that idea of literally providing and holding space for somebody else is enormously powerful yeah and it's impossible to know how somebody feels you know that's why the theater and the art and the music that people create around how one feels when they're depressed is so powerful. You know, Maura was sharing with me that when she, when she needs to go home, she would, she would come to this conclusion because her face felt like it was in cement. And that description and that way of explaining this is a, a powerful tool in order to share what it is you're feeling, but then just allow her to be, have her face in cement. I don't need to pull her face out of the cement. I don't need to chisel away at the cement. I just need to understand that that's how she feels in this moment. That is a fantastic yeah. description. I love that. Yeah. yeah, powerful stuff. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's why I love the work that you're doing, Trisha, with your musicals, with the board that you're on with your promotion and your training of speakers who are opening up the conversations across the entire spectrum of who we are as people. And I, I, to my mind, it's similar to what we're doing and what has begun to happen with the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And I sort of envision a mental health and wellness Me Too movement that I would love to see happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the two of you are certainly making that happen and making that possible. So thank you. Well, we try. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, yes, yesterday I, I got on a call 
with a young woman who is the daughter of one of our podcasters, um, Aaron Huey, who does Beyond Risk and Back. And he has a residential treatment center in the beautiful, gorgeous mountains of Colorado for teens and, you know, teens that are having serious mental health challenges, mental illness, and so on. So his daughter, Maya, is right in between, you know, she's right on the cusp of being Gen X millennial. So she's, she's in, or no, I'm sorry, Gen Z millennial. Yeah. yeah. And she's, you know, going to school to, uh, you know, get her degree in marketing and things like that. And she's just got a really powerful voice. She co-hosts the show with Aaron, which is interesting to see the father daughter dynamic. Mm. And they've done a ton of shows about me too. And, um, about consent and all that. And it's great to hear Aaron, who's my age, you know, um, close to 50, if he's not 50, and then Maya, who's 22. But I I asked her, oh, you know, you do marketing. Well, can we have a meeting and I'll show you our the network site and you take a look at our social media and our YouTube and so on. And, you know, just maybe we need to hire you because I'm thinking, you know, she came out of the womb with a smartphone. So I want to... and. <laughs> She was so great. She did not in any way shame me or cut me down. She was so positive. Okay. But my reaction, which is my own stuff, of course, that I have to deal with in other ways, it's not as bad as it used to be. But as I'm having her talk to me about different things that we could be doing, I'm slowly but surely getting more and more insecure um, scared, embarrassed, <laughs> feeling not good enough, not good enough. Oh my gosh. Oh, as we're having the conversation, which was not her fault. And she wasn't, you know, making me feel that way. That was just all my stuff. And, um, I thought I had a moment of thinking, Oh, this, this might be what it's like, you know, as you age, and you are around younger and younger generations and the things that they know that you don't know. And, you know, I just had this moment and I'm like, I'm so glad that I have friends. Like I have this, this uh, person that I visit once a week, he's like 90 something years old and he's alone. And I go and I just chat with him for like an hour every week because he's on his own and he, he lives not far from me. And then I have my friends that are teenagers and uh, I love, you know, it sort of keeps me in the loop of what's going on with every generation. But it was a trip to sit there and listen to her and be like, God, there's so much that we're not doing with our social media and stuff that we should be doing. And the way that I just bullet or what's what is it? Is it a shotgun that does lots of bullets and a rifle that does one? Yes. Yeah. That, that you okay. sort of pepper it with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, see, I know nothing about guns. Anyway, I'm just this shotgun person. Just get it all out there. Contact, contact, contact. <laughs> and it just, bleh. and we, and we, we do have good social media, but it could be so, we, I mean, really good for what we have. And, but I was thinking, it's a miracle that we have such good social media with how I've been doing it. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to see when you have those moments uh, with people and you're watching yourself go down a rabbit hole and to 
like what, it's what you do, Trisha, I swear there's a, there's a point to this. With what you do in doing the acting and the speaking, it's like showing people going down a rabbit hole so that everybody that does for whatever reason goes, oh, thank God. Okay, other people do that too. That's why we need to talk about these things. Right, right. I When I first wrote Committed, I had two different um, endings. One was Penny killed herself, and one was Penny didn't kill herself. And I did a reading to uh, colleagues, with four colleagues, to get feedback, and they all agreed that I needed to include a suicide in the musical. And you don't think mm -hmm. of suicide and musical theater. But it was important to me because the trajectory of Penny's experience in a deep, deep depression was for her ending in a suicide. And it gave me an opportunity as well to be able to have the other characters talk about it because it doesn't just end with her death. It ends mm. with them wondering how they could have helped, prevented, supported, um, and it was really an important part of the musical. And I, I got feedback from people and they all said that it was a very important part that they needed to understand what to look for, how to help, um, that people who suffer from depression like this are really, um, uh, they need to be taken seriously. And so I think that what you're saying, um, Kristen, about being able to show things and being able to depict this um, mental health challenges and learning disabilities and any sort of darkness that one might be experiencing gives us an opportunity to understand it better. Yeah, Completely. Absolutely. And permission. Yeah. Permission for everyone to go, to breathe and go, I'm not alone in this. I thought it was just me or I, or I, yeah, or I didn't think I was alone in it, but I didn't think it was okay for me to also be open about this. So right. it just gives you permission in so many ways, which is, you know, which is phenomenal. That's why I loved that talk when I saw Brene Brown and she stood up there and showed everybody there were, I don't even know, there were over a thousand people there and she held up her hands and her hands were totally shaking. And she said, she opened her talk with, wow, you know, I am really nervous right now. I am freaking out or something like that. And then she went into her talk and, you know, yes, could she have used that as a skill to, you know, bring in the audience closer, of course, but she really was nervous and her hands really were shaking. <laughs> So, and you know, every single one of us has that experience of feeling insecure or not good enough. We have that experience a lot. You know, just your conversation with this younger person and you're and where did you go? Oh, what am I not doing? What do I not know? <laughs> that rabbit hole of feeling not good enough is it's there. It's so easy to get to fall into that. And I think the more that we're sharing about this and the more that we're literally willing to be authentic and vulnerable and say, literally, me too, me too, you too, you too, you too. All of yeah. us have that, like those experiences throughout our lives. And for some people that is in addition to other particular kinds of challenge, whether it's socioeconomic, 
or physical or emotional, whatever it is, intellectual, that everyone, that's part of our common experience and that we can talk about it. We can be phenomenal and we are phenomenal, awesome human beings who are also insecure and afraid and nervous and anxious and depressed and, and, and. I couldn't say it better, Christina. It's really, it's, it's so important that we can guarantee life is hard. We can guarantee there's going to be ups and downs. Yes. And make that guarantee a hundred percent on air. Right. Right. We yeah, promise everyone. When, yes. <laughs> yep. And I know when you came on and we did our, our webcast for the first one, I, during that, um, and you know, this is what I do on my shows. I, I, um, admit these things and I do it on purpose, even though later I think, why didn't I say that? And I have my own insecurities and then they go away much less time worrying about what I said than I used to, which is a bonus, but I did have moments of, Oh my God, she's probably noticing every way that I need help. How does she even have a podcast that's even remotely popular? Uh, you know, I did all those things as you were sitting there, Trisha, that, and then I had to go, Stop it and pay attention. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I just want to be clear. I am not constantly analyzing people's speaking. <laughs> right. And I promise, as someone with decades in psychology, I don't sit around analyzing people. I get that all the time, right? People are like, ooh, I know you're analyzing me or you're usually what people say is you're psychoanalyzing me. I don't even bother to get into like, that's not even what I do. But, oh, but truthfully, right. right. It's like, no, I actually have to stop and choose to put that vision on to do that because, hey, I'm a human being. So quite frankly, like every other human being, I'm more in my own head than I am in anybody else's. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And isn't it interesting to be able to measure how quickly you can stop yourself or pivot yourself. That's when I, that's when I started to really understand what cognitive behavioral therapy is good for. I, I understood it intellectually, but I didn't, I hadn't personalized it in my own self until a great therapy session with my therapist. And I was like, yeah, I can actually start. I still have the thoughts of, freaking out about something, but it's really, um, I've exercised that muscle for so long now from having cognitive behavioral therapy to be able to go, stop thinking about that and move on to something else. So that it's the time in between and the time in between is relative to what it is you might be obsessing about. If it's something that still is a wound somewhere, it's going to take you longer to pivot, but that's the benefit of cognitive behavioral therapy is building up that tool chest, which I'm speaking your language, Christina, but I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. And I'm just going to bring in for a moment, you know, my uh, acronym that I love to talk about SWAP, which is self-compassion, worthiness, ask for and accept help and positive self-talk. And I mm. think that I mentioned, but if I didn't, I want to mention it again. This is not actually a promo because I haven't even talked to these people, but there's a really cool app that's called Think Up. 
And in it, you can record, it's a free version, and you can record your voice with affirmations, right? That's that positive self-talk. And what's awesome is that you can record up to four, I think it is on the free app, and then it plays it back. And your own voice saying the things that you want to remember and that you want to say to literally affirm yourself helps you switch into that positive self-talk and decreases the amount of time that we spend swirling around in the black hole or sliding down into Wonderland. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's too funny. Well, so, Trisha, tell us about, I know we talked about speakers who dare time, but just for anyone that's, you know, just tuning into this show, can you talk about that and then also bring in, you know, the aspects of the speakers that uh, that are going to be talking about mental health challenges? Sure. Well, Speakers Who Dare is a new speaking platform that I co-produced with Jamie, Jamie Broderick, and we produced TEDx Lincoln Square for two years, and I decided I wanted to go off on my own and create a platform for speakers who can talk about what we're thinking about. So um, it's really an opportunity for them to say what we're all thinking, and I've got some incredible speakers this year. They are, Christina is one of our speakers, and I'm super excited. Um, She's doing an incredible uh, talk that I'm not going to give away, but it's it's a very specific request that I've made of her. Um, Mark Cordone, Mari Carmen Pizarro, uh, Jason Harris, Nidia Han, Tracy Wick, Rachid Kansal, Amy O'Neill, Rocco Koza, Stephanie Simpson, Teresa Wynn, Jazz Jazz Bianchi, Sarah Nannan, Mike Shurek. We have amazing speakers, Alexis Fuentes and Chief Terrence Monaghan, who is the chief of police of New York City. Tanya Harris is going to be talking about discrimination and mental health, which I'm really excited Mm -hmm. about. And Marla Schultz is talking about being an accidental advocate and George uh, Andriopoulos. So we have an incredibly diverse group of speakers and topics. And um, it's always important to me to create an event where we're talking about things that people are uncomfortable with. Because part of what I do also is I created a TV show, a TV series called The Big Talk Over Dinner because I'm sitting at home alone with my husband watching MSNBC and we have the same, we share the same opinions politically. So I thought, okay, I need to have conversations with people who don't agree with me and I need to teach people how to do that mindfully and thoughtfully. Yes. (laughs) Right. So so I I created the big talk over dinner where I bring people in and I, we have dinner in a, a restaurant. It's closed down. I've got a four camera shoot. We're talking about things like race, immigration, gender, politics. So the same thing rings true for me at my Speakers Who Dare event. I want people to take that stage who are talking about things that we need to bring awareness to. And Tanya Harris is doing that by talking about how her kid is being discriminated against because she's got a learning disability and how she was showered with gifts when she had childhood cancer. So I'm super excited mm-hmm. to bring awareness to that conversation at the event. Wow. And tell everyone when it's, when it's happening and where it's going to be. It is in New York City at the Triad Theater on March 26th, and tickets are on sale now at speakerswhodare.com. 
Fantastic. Anything else you want to ask? Anything else you wanted to ask, Christina, before we close? Uh, Trisha, I just want to say I am so happy to have you with us and talking about us. And I love the work that you're doing and the way in which you're literally promoting the respect and dignity of one human being to another and the honoring of that and the connecting with people. And so thank you so much for the work that you do, for coming on and speaking with us and for literally all of the promotion that you're doing in the world so that the world becomes a all of us too kind of place. Thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can find it. Good boy.